Welcome to Nashville Life Church. For all of you here for the first time, my name is Alvin. I serve as lead pastor here. Um, for those of you who keep coming, thank you so much. Good to see you again. Um, glad you like being here. We love having you here. Uh, this is a, a good place to be. I really uh, just enjoy serving along everybody in this church, everybody who serves on team, uh, our production team who's been here all three services, just giving their best. Our music team, the same. We got Kids Life downstairs, guest services. I mean, I, there's probably at least 30 to 40 people that, that it takes to put this service on, the finance team, the prayer team. Uh, so if you would like to join the team and, and be a part of the great uh, group that puts on and makes Nashville Life what it is, uh, we got next steps actually today at 1 o'clock, and we just share about the vision of the church and tell you what being involved with Nashville Life could look like for you and your family, if you've got your family with you. Um, but yeah, it's just a good place to be. I, I've, I've always uh, believed that a full church experience is when you come and you feel known and you feel needed. And I think uh, the known space is really where life groups come in. I think that's your best shot at really feeling like you've got uh, strong relationships uh, that go past the surface. And then uh, the needed is uh, when you're on team, when you've got some responsibility here at the church. It, it, it gives you a sense of being needed, and I, I just think that's the best experience that anybody can have in a church is when they're both known and needed. And we want to know you, and I can guarantee you that we need you as well. So, so just be praying about life groups. Today's life group Sunday. It's a great time to uh, get involved at a deeper level and just invest a little bit more time than normal uh, or, or a little more time than you're currently investing at the church with going to a life group. And my prayer is that you'll reap some some good friendships, some lasting relationships out of it. And then, of course, joining on team, joining us and working to put this on. It's, it's, a, great, it's a great experience. Um, what's up, Byron and Tammy? Good to see you. Love y'all. Um, okay, let's get into it. We are in a series on the book of Colossians. And uh, I love this book. It's four chapters, and we're going through the four weeks of August um, in this book. We did the first, two, the first two weeks. Today, we're on Colossians chapter 3. And I, I was surprised to see when I was studying Colossians that the vision of our church is, is really woven through this book. And if those of you don't know, the vision of our church is following Jesus building leaders. That's the vision of our church. That's why we believe we're here. That's our thing. We follow Jesus and we build leaders. And uh, we do that via four steps. The first one is leading people to know God. Number two is to find freedom, then to discover purpose. And the last one is to make a difference. And today we're going to be talking about Colossians 3 and my prayer is that through this book, through this chapter, you'll discover your purpose today. Um, either discover it or rediscover it. Maybe some of you all have been through some life situations and the vision for your life uh, has gotten a little bit 
hazy, a little bit faded. Maybe your grip on purpose has been challenged and loosened a bit, and God wants to strengthen that grip again on why you're here, why you're still alive, why, why you were put on this earth. There is a reason, and it's a good reason too. And my prayer is that this chapter can help connect you to that so you can leave here with a much greater sense of purpose and significance for your life, for your family, for your marriage, uh, for your future. So let's get into it. Before we do, repeat these words after me. I like to do this before we read the Bible together. I say, the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, let's get into it. Verse 1 of Colossians 3. Paul says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, seated, seat, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth, is what he says. I want to start off just letting you know, in case you didn't know, uh, that Christianity is a lot more than uh, being a good person. It's a lot more than just a moral upgrade to your life. It's more than just a religious addition to your week. It's a lot more than just a Sunday obligation. Uh, Christianity is about supernatural change. Jesus, when you come to him, he has the power to bring not just change to your life, but supernatural change. The Bible says that when we are saved, when we're born again, we are raised with Christ um, to another realm of living, a heavenly realm, a, a, a supernatural realm that transcends our, our physical bodies and our earthly existence as people. We, we get called into a spiritual, supernatural position that only Christ gives you access to this space. And when you receive Jesus, you are raised to this place. Um, there's really no other life like the life of a Christ follower. Um, there's nothing more glorious. There's nothing more adventurous there's nothing more empowering. There's nothing more transformative than a life that is given to Jesus Christ. Um, and I'm excited for this chapter to just unpack just how wild and special this life is. Let's go to verse 3. It says, for you died, okay, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So verse 3 says, uh, those who are in Christ have died. 
So verse 1 says those who are in Christ, we are raised. But verse 3 says we died. Verse 3 is what helps us understand the context of verse 1. The fact that verse 3 says we died helps us see that that raised word in verse 1 where it says we were raised with Christ, that's actually referring to a resurrection. It's not just a raise, it's a resurrection. And the reason why resurrection uh, is an important word because resurrection informs us that a death has occurred. You can't be resurrected unless there's been a death. Um, resurrection can't happen if death hasn't occurred. So we're seeing here in Scripture that, that those who are in Christ have to experience a death in order for them to be raised or resurrected with Christ. Um, now, what does it mean by death? I want to let you know that it doesn't necessarily mean physical death. Not all Christians have to physically die because of their faith. Now, many have. Most of the apostles and people in Scripture and even people in modern day today, there are many people who have to physically die because of their choice to follow Jesus. But not everybody has to experience that. However, what everyone does have to experience is the death that Paul is describing in verse 3. And that is a death to your earthly, civilian, merely human existence. All of us are born with a merely human from the earth. We go back to the earth when we die. It's kind of this the earth is the limit type life. And anyone who comes to Christ has to die to that existence. Because what happens when you die to your merely human existence and your earthly life, you are resurrected with a much more grand, glorious, uh, supernatural beyond earth life. Uh, your purpose changes when you go through this death. Your purpose goes from being, uh, like I said, merely human to all of these other descriptions that are way more grand and way more uh, exciting and supernatural. Words like ambassadors for Christ. Uh, words like co-heirs with Christ. Um, royal priest in a royal priesthood. Uh, you start being associated with a completely different identity that, quite frankly, you don't naturally think describes you. Um, when you are saved, you are bought into a completely different identity and a different reality and literally a different world. That's why I said, guys, this is more than just a moral upgrade for your life. When you follow Jesus, you are actually rocket shipped into a whole nother world, a whole nother realm, a whole nother purpose and context for existing. 
And it's important for us to understand that because I think many of us are wildly underestimating our identity in Christ and our, our potential and uh, the magnitude of our importance and the magnitude of our purpose. And I'm hoping that Colossians 3 can help, can help you with that. Uh, let's talk further. Verse 5. Verse 5. Therefore, since you have died and since you have been promoted to this heavenly position as a person and as a, as a member of the body of Christ, verse 5 says, put to death your members which are on the earth. Uh, and then it starts listing these earthly matters, or some translations say worldly matters. And, and he says fornication's one of them, uncleanness, passion, which is another word for lust, uh, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves, including me, once walked when you lived in them. Verse 8 says, but now you yourselves are to put off these things. And it starts adding more things to the list. It says, anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy. And then it says, filthy language that comes out of your mouth. Verse 5 says we're supposed to put to death the things I just listed. So what does that look like? How do you, how do you put to death these things that are so ingrained in so many of us and it's, it's so, so a part of the way that we live, the way that we think? What does it look like to put these things to death? Because the word says that it's our responsibility to put these things to death. It doesn't say that God puts it to death. It doesn't say that the Holy Spirit puts it to death. It says that the individual is actually held responsible for, for killing these things in our lives. So what does that look like? I thought about investments when I was trying to come up with my message today, and I thought about the time and the energy that we invest in the things that we do. And it occurred to me that all the things that Paul listed that I just read, from fornication down to lust to covetousness to blasphemy to envy and anger, all the things he listed require time and energy for us to accomplish. It takes time to fornicate. It takes energy to envy, and it takes effort to hate and to be jealous. It actually takes energy to do these things. So when it comes to putting death, putting these things to death, I think it just means starve these things. Don't invest any more time or energy into these actions. Don't exert another ounce don't invest another ounce of effort or energy or time into these earthly things. Instead, God is asking us to withdraw all of our investments from these things, all of the time that we spend in the week, all of the effort and energy that we give on a daily basis to these areas. God is saying, 
take all of that energy out of those things and redirect that energy, redirect that time, redirect that effort, redirect that passion into Christ. Y'all, we have to remember that Jesus calls us to a very radical level of commitment. And by radical, I mean total commitment. Um, the first and greatest commandment is for us to love him with 100% of our heart, with 100% of our mind, with 100% with of our strength. And I, I'm saying 100% on purpose because I think we kind of brush over all of our heart, all of our mind. All, I think we're so used to saying it that we're like, yeah, yeah, I love you with all my heart, all my soul. Y'all, all means 100% of you. All means you can't afford to have even 0.7% somewhere else because as much as you would think 99.3% is, if it's not all, it's not 100%. And this is not just the 10th or the 9th commandment. It's the first and greatest commandment that we have as Christians is to give God 100%. So anything, any part of your heart that is not invested in Christ is poorly invested. Any part of your passion and devotion that is not in Christ is misplaced passion. If you're a Christian, now if you're not a Christian, this doesn't apply to you. Actually, it does because you're not, it, you're not, you were created to be in Christ. You're not held accountable to it as much because you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus. But I feel like I'm talking to a room of a lot of people who say they have chosen to go all the way with Jesus and have, have made them their Lord. I'm just letting you all know, I'm reminding you that the Lord that is over your life has commanded you not even suggested. He didn't even say, I just really wish that y'all would give me all your heart. He says, this is a commandment. And not only is it a commandment, but it's the first and it's the most important one that you'll ever get from me. And that is to love him with all your heart. So guys, we've got some assessing to do. We've got some, we've got some inventory work to do. We've got to see, is there any place that I've put my passions outside of Christ? Because I can guarantee you, even if it's just a little bit of your heart that's somewhere else, it is not where it's supposed to be. As Christians, we are called to have all of ourselves, all of our minds, all of our strength devoted exclusively to Jesus Christ. And if that sounds radical, you're right. If that sounds too radical, you're arguably right. And the reason why I say that is because salvation is built to be too hard for you to do on your own. Loving Jesus is designed to be impossible for you to do in your own strength. This is why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why we need the helper. This is why the Bible says to not forsake the assembly. This is why we need our life groups. This is why we need relationships with faith-filled believers because we need help every day. We, guys... We cannot, we cannot love God 
one day of our lives without the help of the Holy Spirit. You don't have enough of good intentions in you to, su to succeed in that. It is designed to where we must surrender to the power and the grace of God. We must allow the grace of God to give us the strength and the ability we need to fulfill this commandment to give God 100% of ourselves all the time. I'm just reminding y'all what we signed up for. All of everything I'm saying is in the Bible. Like everything. And, and it, Colossians is just God's gift of bringing us back to just how radical a life we've chosen when we said yes to following Jesus. And for those of you who haven't followed Jesus, you're able to really hear what it's about. So you can really ask yourself some decisions and count the cost. Some of you guys are, I'm so glad if you're, if you're not saved, I'm so glad you're here because you're getting a chance to hear what this life really is. So you can make a judgment for yourself if, if you're ready for it or not. Because it's, it's, it's the greatest gift. It's the greatest life that you will not find anything more adventurous, anything more thrilling, anything more life-giving, anything more transformative than a life for Jesus. But when I say it will take all you've got, I mean it. It will take 100% of everything everything you are and everything you have you will not be afford you will not be able to afford to have anything else on reserve or on like on shelf just just in case you want to do something else it just has a way for coming for that little part that little part that you kind of stash away for yourself that's the first thing that Jesus points at here you are, you're ready just to talk about, get, you know, let's talk about all the 97% things I'm doing for you. And you're so shocked because you think you're going to want to talk about the 97 and he's only concerned about the 3% that he doesn't have. And some of us can be like, man, God, I thought you'd be grateful. I'm giving you more than, he said, I didn't ask for more. I asked for all. <laughs> Jesus is not asking you for more. He's asking you for everything. And the reason why he feels justified in asking you for everything is because he gave you everything. Amen? Okay, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Uh, verse 9. Verse 9. Do not lie to one another. Okay, yes. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds... And I've put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. Okay, I like this part. Okay, I want to sum this part up in uh, what I what I think will make sense to you. It says, sup I, I wrote supernatural change is both immediate and ongoing. I told you guys that Christianity was about supernatural change, right? Well, that comes in two forms. There is an immediate initial supernatural change that happens when you give your life to Jesus. 
And then there's another supernatural change that's ongoing. It's progressive. Um, The one that's immediate is when you say yes to Jesus and you give your heart to him, when you repent of your sins, his mercy comes in like a flood and you go from dead to life. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You, uh, the old man is gone uh, and he, he gives you what the Bible calls the new man, which is that that's the new start that you feel, that fresh beginning. Uh, he gives you a new spirit. He gives you a new heart. He gives you a new destiny. He gives you a new identity. That's the new man. And the new man, according to verse 10 of what we just read, is able to be renewed. So the new man is constantly being renewed, and it's constantly evolving. And the direction that I'm kind of walking is is representing uh, the progression of the new man becoming more and more like Jesus. Uh, That's why the trajectory of every Christian is to be more like Jesus than you were yesterday. The idea is that we are all more like Jesus two years from now than we are today. And then we are even more like Jesus 10 years from now than we are going to be two years from now. Because the new man has to constantly be renewed as the days go by. Now, the old man is not renewable. You know when things are just so messed up, you got to just start all over? That's how the old man is. The old man is so jacked up to where God's like, we're just going to throw that in the trash, pretend like it never was there, and we're going to start something totally new. The only thing that you can do with the old man is to kill it. That's the only thing that the old man could do. And I tell you that because I think there's some of us that are still trying to live Christian lives by improving the old man. And you find yourself, you're just scrubbing and scrubbing and scrubbing, and you still stink. And that's because, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but you get, you get what I'm saying. The old man, it, it has no hope. The old man can only die. God gives you a new man to start this whole thing over. This new man is a blank canvas, and it's with the new man that we actually start to uh, develop our relationship with Jesus. And this is how it happens. Verse 10 says, the new man is renewed in knowledge according to the image of of him, the image of Christ. That's what verse 10 says of Colossians 3. Um, I was trying to think of an analogy, and sometimes they're good, and sometimes they're not. But um, the, have y'all been to, like, painting classes where there's a reference painting, and then you have your canvas, and you've got the colors, all the stuff you need to duplicate or replicate that painting. And basically, the ones that are better than the other ones are the ones that are a lot more detail, like it's just, they, they really were able to specifically uh, match the reference painting to a T, and detail by detail is what allows their painting to look just like the reference versus the ones that, you know, I do, that look nothing like, you know, the reference. Um, that's, that's, that's the analogy or that's the example that I believe us renewing the new man is uh, the image of Christ is the reference. And every time you read your Bible, every time you pray, every time you listen to a message, every time you're in a faith 
filled conversation with a friend, uh, you are being presented the image of Christ. He's presenting you the standard of who he is. He's presenting you the details of his personality and, and the, the motives of his heart and the, the, the ins and outs of his dreams and his vision. And every time you're faced with the image and uh, presented the image of God, you have an opportunity to, what, to do what I call uh, make edits. Uh, we can make edits to our new man to match the reference that is Jesus. So just like the painting analogy, you know, you, the more you look and the more you study the reference painting and the more you look at yours and you, you start to develop this uh, relationship between your painting and the reference painting and you start getting used to looking and then going back to yours and looking go oh no okay that leaf went to the left so let me make my leaf my leaf was a little bit to the right okay I need to edit this and make it go to the left and you just you're constantly this it's this your painting reference painting your painting reference painting and you're making changes to hopefully make your painting look like the reference painting that's our walk with Jesus. We are constantly making comparisons and con contrasts. We're looking at Jesus and going, okay, oh, yeah, mine doesn't look like that. Okay, okay. And you're assessing your new man with him, and you're constantly looking at him, and then looking at yourself and looking at him, and you're making changes based on what you're seeing of his image. So, so every time the Lord shows you who he is, guys, it's not for a round of applause. It's not to just go, oh, look how awesome he is. And it gets tempting because he is awesome, but he is not showing you himself to, for, to be admired, he's showing you himself for you to make edits to your life. That's like going to those painting classes and just looking at the painting. Your canvas is blank, and you're just going, oh, what a great painting. No, the whole point of the thing is for you to try to match the painting that you're looking at. And that's how some of us do Christianity. We come to Jesus, and we're just like, oh, Uh, oh, that was nice. Okay, I'll see you later. No, it's, it's meant to make edits so that your image can match his. And the idea of it is the more that you're looking at his image, the more you can make yourself look like him. This is the Christian life. This is what we are called to do. This is our everyday purpose. And... If some of you guys are a little bit disappointed that you have such a specific purpose for the rest of your life, when I tell you that the perfection of Jesus, this well is so deep that you can be 110 and still be finding new edits to make to your life. Trust me, for those of you who are afraid of boredom and afraid of just like monotony, the devil is a liar. You, if you really commit to match your life to Jesus, 
you will not have a boring day in your life. You will always have something that you're working on, something that you're inspired to change, something that you are inspired to build, something that you're inspired to, turn, to tear down. There will always be something new to engage in to the man or the woman who makes the decision to match their image with Jesus. You will always have work to do. And, and it's encouraging work because you'll see the progress, which is why people go to those classes because it's cool to see yourself get better. It's cool to see character traits that were not there two years ago that are there today. To, to see the fruit of the edits that you make to your life, it's fun. It is fun. And, and uh, let's, let's get further into it because we got, we got a little bit more. Uh, therefore, verse 12. Are y'all good? Let's just take a second. Okay. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against one another, sorry, against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must, so also you must do. So you also must do. That was weird, sorry. So you also must do. Verse 14, above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. I mean, that was just three verses in one chapter of one book of the Bible. And I would go as far to say that's a lifetime of work right there. Truly embodying just these last three verses is a lifetime of work, a lifetime of, of, of effort and, and of, of, of perseverance and, and pursuit because that's the, God is so good. I mean, he doesn't just call us to mercy. He calls us to tender mercy. Some of us are like, man, it's enough to just forgive. You want me to forgive tenderly? Like, I have to forgive with a smile on my face? Oh, man, I thought it was enough just to forgive the man. You want me to do it with tenderness? Oh, like, okay, let's go. So like, there's it's just stuff like that. You think you have it, and then he'll show you another detail. You're like, ah, okay, all right, let's go. There's more, there's more, there's more. And God's grace and his Holy Spirit will give us that, that attitude of let's go back in. Let's go back in. Okay, there's more. All right, sweet. I, I, I'm, getting, I'm getting more and more like you. I'm getting more because the more like Jesus you become, the more benefits you experience in your life. So it's motivating. Trust me. It is not discouraging. For those of you who are, like, afraid of perfectionism and you are afraid of, like, having to, like, try to be better because you tried that once and it made you a monster and everyone's got these stories of what perfectionism did for you, trust me, that is not this. God will give you his grace where you will be, you will see it as a, a, a wonderful prize and goal that you are pressing toward. And you're going to feel the grace of God just giving you the motivation that you need to, to do it with, 
with joy and with, with hunger and with fervor. It's going to be a positive experience. I promise you. I promise you. Don't be scared. Please. Verse 16. Let's keep going. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. It sounds like a scene from heaven. When I'm read, whenever I read verse 16, I think about, like, I just see, like, angels, like, floating around with harps and, like, singing to each other. And it always surprises me that he's describing us. Like, he's describing who the church is, like, people who, like us. And I was like, Lord, it just, this seems like some, a scene out of heaven. And when I was talking to the Holy Spirit, I felt him say, well, it is. I was like, well, yeah, but we're the church. He goes, no, we got, you all are citizens of heaven. The church, we're actually called to be heavenly people. We're called to be people who live our lives like we're in heaven. And I got so convicted because I, I don't think that I've lived my life with that standard in mind. And I don't think I've held myself to that standard. I don't think I've held our church to that standard, that we are called to, to a heavenly standard for our lives to be a, a, a depiction of heaven, a replica of heaven in the way that we treat each other, in the way that we respond to situations. And I just, again, I, 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 the conviction I feel, and my prayer is that the Lord gives it to you too, that We've underestimated just how different we're supposed to be than everybody else. And I think some of us have, have, have resented that and even pushed against that. It's like when you feel yourself getting a little too different, then you kind of retract and like sabotage and kind of go back to, oh, that was close. I was, I was kind of getting a little too like Jesus for a second. Oh, I'm feeling more like myself now. I had to kind of binge and, and, and go, you know, I had to have a relapse so I can, oh, whew, I'm feeling a little bit more like myself now because I, start, I started getting to, uh, I don't know, it was, what, Christ-like? And, I, and I, I've done it too. I, I, there's, there's seemed, and Israel had it. I don't know why there's just such this aversion that we have to fight of being different from sinners. And, and we, we, some of us push against it so hard. And, and I don't know if it's because we don't want to stand out or we don't want to look like we're too high and mighty. But we, we put so much effort at identifying with our past. And we put so much effort into making sure that we are still like everybody else. And I just think if we could just take that effort that we put into being like those who aren't saved and those who come from where we used to come from and so that we can still, I don't know, relate. I don't know what our intentions are, but the Lord is telling us that we are called to identify with heaven more than we identify with earth. We are called to identify with our future more than we identify with our past. And I think a lot of us have really mastered 
identifying with who we used to be and identifying with where we've come from. But God is saying we are putting our energy into earthly things when we should be putting it towards heaven. Because the Lord actually wants us to be citizens. He doesn't want, he's, he's made us citizens of heaven. We aren't even our, if you're a Christian, you're not even yourself until you're heavenly. And some of you guys feel more like yourselves when you're in sin. It's almost like when you really start walking in purity, it's like, ooh, this is weird. This is, oh, I need to, I need to, I need to mess, the, I need to dirty this up a little bit so I can feel a little bit more like me. We're Christianity, it's the opposite. It's where when you're in sin, you feel, oh, oh, I got to get back in. Oh, I'm in purity again. This is where I belong. And my prayer is, which, just you got to be honest with yourself, which one is more comfortable for you? Where is your citizenship? Where is home for you? Where is your sweet spot? These are questions. I'm not assuming any answers. You've got to ask that for yourself. Am I more home in the vomit of the dogs than I am in the holy of holies? And if that's you, you've got to run to Jesus' sake. You've got to change my home. I want my home to be heaven. I want my comfort to be in your will. I want worship to be my sweet spot. I, I, want, I, I, want, I want that to be where my heart is. God, you got to. And honestly, that's where some of y'all might realize that maybe you were never, you, maybe you never had that change. And that's where you come to God and say, God, I need you to change me for real. I need you to make me a new creation. I can't honestly say that the old has passed away. I can't honestly say that scripture is for me. I know the scripture, but I need the newness of life, God. I promise you he will answer your prayer. Let's keep going. We're almost done. Are you all okay? Okay. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. And so I read that already. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 18 and 23, all the way down to 25, starts describing how heavenly people live. Um, and it's actually a lot more practical than you think. I kind of made a joke before thinking, you know, when we hear that we're supposed to be heavenly, you know, some of our minds could just start, am I supposed to, you know, change, start wearing white robes? Do I need to get a halo? Do I need to start practicing my harp? Like, 
How, 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 how can I be a heavenly person? How can I live like a heavenly being on earth? And a lot of times we go to these superficial things. Yeah, I need to, I don't know, start walking like that. I don't know. We, we just start kind of imagining what we think heaven is supposed to look like on earth. Colossians 3 takes away all those questions. It starts listing things. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives and don't be mean to them. Uh, children, obey your parents and everything. Uh, bond servants, obey your masters. Do work not just when they're looking, but do good work even when your boss is not around. It starts giving you some very practical uh, tips on how to live like a heavenly being. And none of it involves halos or harps. It just means treating your spouse in a biblical way. Kids, you don't have to take cherub flying lessons. Just obey mom and dad. Do what they say. Be a good employee. Don't take advantage of the fact that your boss is around and you're working from home and they don't know what you're doing. Work with integrity. These are the things that bring heaven to earth. These are the things that cause the light and power of Christ to permeate through this dark world and transcend and spread his light to open up everybody's eyes to who Jesus is. I'm telling you, if you want to be a citizen of heaven and if you want to live a life like a heavenly being, Read Colossians. Read the Word of God. You will find everything, and you'll be surprised at how practical it is. To be so supernatural, the instructions are always surprisingly and refreshingly practical. I want to pray for us because I think a lot of us need to reassess what this is that we've chosen uh, the radical demand that, that Jesus has, has placed on our lives as his followers, um, complete, total devotion to him, 100% of our strength. Um, it's just that much. And that was an answer to maybe someone here that's going, is it really, does it really take that much? I'm here to tell you it does. Some of you guys might need to put on a little funeral for your own personal purposes. When you come to Jesus, there are no personal purposes anymore. We all share the same purpose. The purpose of Christ is our purpose. The meaning for Jesus' existence is your meaning for existence. His goals are now your goals. His dreams are now your dreams. And as better as his dreams are, I'm not going to lie to you, it's painful to die to your dreams, even if you know they're not as good as God's dreams for you. Like, I felt that. I knew that God's plans were better than mine, and I still mourned over having to say goodbye to my plans because they were mine. So what? They weren't as good. They were mine. 
And when you have to say goodbye to your plans and your identity and your ideas of what was right, even knowing that it's not as good as what God has for you, it still can hurt. So if it hurts, don't feel bad. You might shed a tear. It's a death. You are dying to your existence independently of Jesus, and you are now being married with Jesus. Your plans are now being completely conformed to the plans of Jesus Christ. So some of you, I told second service, if y'all have a funeral, call me. I'll, I'll try to come. Pay my respects to your, your purposes and plans. And I really mean it, and I, and I won't laugh. I will, I will mourn with you because I've been there. But man, shed that tear because after that tear, there is an incredible resurrection. And his purposes and his plans and his life starts to just rush through your life. And now you are about your father's business and you really mean it this time. So second service, if, you're, if you haven't felt the pain of what I'm talking about, you maybe haven't died to it yet. If you're like, funeral, what is he talking about? You, it, you might have not died yet. Go through it. Say goodbye. Die and allow the grace of God to raise you to a whole new playing field, to a whole new plane that you could have never gotten to on your own. Amen? All right, let's pray. Let's pray. God, we love you. We honor you, and we thank you. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the truth of God that has come through Colossians 3. Lord, I thank you that you're calling all of us to a death to ourselves and a death to our plans, a death to our agenda, a death to our sense of purpose and our sense of, of, of importance, God. All of these things, Lord, you're calling us to die so that we can be raised with you and step into who we've actually always been called to be. Lord, you have a new life for us a life better than anything we could experience on this earth. Lord, you're giving us a life in heaven. Lord, and that life in heaven, Lord, can start here on earth as the church, God, empower us all to be citizens of heaven even while we still live here on earth, God. Give us your grace and your Holy Spirit so that we can adopt the ways of heaven so we can adopt the ways of Christ, so we can conform to your image, God. Not for our gain, Lord, but for this world to see you, God. You have called us all to be conduits of heaven, to be, to be conduits of your spirit, Lord, to, to bring heaven to earth, God. That is our purpose. Our purpose is now exclusively Christ. Our purpose is now to bring heaven to earth. Our purpose now is to populate heaven and to plunder hell. Our purpose now is to make disciples and see more people come into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. However that has to look, God, that is our purpose. Lord, help us to accept the specificity, the singular purpose 
that we all now have in Christ. Lord, for those of us who haven't made the decision, Lord, help, help them see that you're calling them to heavenly places. Help them fill the, fill the pull, the, 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 the gentle but, 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 but constant pull from you, drawing them to bigger and better things, things that are bigger than themselves, things that are bigger than their life. Open their eyes, God, to see the vast, incredible world of possibilities, adventure, exploration, fulfillment, joy overflowing. Rivers of living water. Lord, put a taste and a hunger in their mouth, in their heart. Put a taste and hunger in their heart, Lord, so they can reach out, Lord, for you in this prayer that we're about to pray. And ask for you to save them and lift them up to heavenly places so they can live bigger. Dream bigger, love bigger, forgive bigger, laugh bigger. Lord, I ask for you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask us all to stand. We're about to close. I want to give everybody an opportunity to say yes to Jesus and let this man let this king change your life, broaden your horizons. Simple prayer. Repeat these words after me. Everybody can pray it together. Say, Heavenly Father, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins. Make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Let's all say amen. And let's make a sound of thanksgiving, of expectation, of faith. Hallelujah, God, we love you. We're about to go. If you're on the prayer team, could you get in position, please? The prayer team, these people are here to pray for you. If you have prayer needs of any kind, if you receive salvation, if you need healing, if you just got something heavy on your heart and you want someone to pray for you, these people are loving and they're gifted to pray. They got up this morning to come here and pray for you. So this is why they're here. Uh, so please utilize it if you want it, if you need it on your way out. Come and get prayer. Otherwise, you can connect with us on text. You can text the word BELONG to 77411. 
We can connect with you that way. We got next steps right after we end on the third floor. Our whole staff will be there if you want to learn a little bit more about the church, hear about the vision, come. We would love to meet you. Uh, and then if you want to give, thank you in advance. You can give online or our finance team will be in the lobby. They can serve you if you want to give tithes or offerings that way. Uh, Friday, come to worship night. Tell your friends. We're going to pack this place out. It's going to be nothing but music, and it's going to be a great time. So Friday night, we'd love to see you here at 7. And I'm going to pray and dismiss us. Father, I love you. I honor you, God. I pray a blessing over everybody here. Lord, let your presence and your spirit continue to bring change, supernatural change in their hearts. God, and I thank you for the great results and the great fruit and impact that's going to come from all of our lives for your glory, God. And more people are going to know about you because of the people in this room. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great rest of your day. I love you.